This message by Sam Shin, entitled "Revealing Love," was recorded at Wellspring Church on February second, twenty twenty. The text for this message is First John chapter three, verses nineteen to twenty-four. It's from First John three, nineteen through twenty-four. First John chapter three, verse nineteen through twenty-four. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. You should know by now that John regularly speaks about God's love and love for one another. And it's easy to move quickly through John and think, wow, it's all about love, all about this glorious love. And yet, one thing that you will see hopefully throughout specifically John's letter is that love is if we if we think about it to what John is calling us to, it's incredibly difficult. This is not an easy task. And last week we talked about the different ways that we are to love one another. For John, loving one another is not merely a command. It's not just something Christians do in order to be nice or to be um, ethical, moral. It's so much more than that. Christians are to love one another because that's the nature of who we are in Christ. That That's our characteristic. That's what defines us as a Christian. And just as your, your nose shape or your eye color or your hair in some way reflects your parents, so too when we love one another, we reflect our Heavenly Father and His nature and His character. Loving one another reveals one ultimate fact, that we are God's children, if we love one another. So John continues to tell us what loving one another reveals. According to John in this passage, it reveals three things. It reveals the truth in verses 19 through 20. Secondly, it reveals our confidence in verses 21 through 23. And then thirdly, and most importantly, it reveals the Holy Spirit indwelling in us in verse 24. So first, let's look at uh, what loving others reveals in the truth in verses 19 through 20. We'll read that again. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. The first phrase, by this shall we know, goes back all the way back to verses 11 through 18 in, in this chapter. 
That is to say that when John says in verse 11, we should love one another. And as we explored last week, that that's an incredibly difficult task. And if it were easy, there would be no cross. So since Jesus demonstrates this for us, this love for one another by dying for not really nice people, but actually in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we're told that Christ died for enemies. By the way, whether you realize it or not, that's including me and you, that we were opposed to God by our will, by our rebellion against him. And so God doesn't demonstrate love by dying really nice, kind people who want to obey and trust him, but rather he died for enemies. And so when God demonstrates love by dying for enemies, he essentially shows us what this love that John is referring to looks like. The challenges that are there to try to love someone, not someone who is kind to you, but rather someone who despises you, or someone who is exactly the opposite of kind to you. It's so much more than having romantic feelings for someone. And again, that's where love is displaced or misunderstood, as we think of it solely the way that the media projects it, storybooks, fairy tales. But it's not like that at all. Not at least biblical love. It's not about love coming easily without much effort, which is, again, how most of us tend to think of love. The person you fall in love with also falls in love with you. The person you are kind to also shows kindness to you. The person who gives gifts to you, that's the person you're supposed to give gifts back. But the Bible is very clear that it's not supposed to be that way. At least that's not what the Bible's view of God's love looks like. Perhaps at your wedding, if you're married, you had, as the text that the preacher preached from, the officiant preached from is 1 Corinthians 13. It's often a passage that is used in weddings. But if you look at that chapter and really explore it, it's not a nice chapter. It's not a what you would imagine, quote, a loving chapter. It is about love. But God says, if you surrender your body to the flames, but have not love, you gain nothing. And then he describes this love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love never fails. And at first glance, that sounds really romantic, so nice, affectionate. But think about that for a moment. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And try going back home, or even right now, and think of all the problems you have with people around you. And now try to erase that from your heart, from your memory. And say, I refuse to keep a record of wrongs. And make that a regular pattern of your mind and heart, regardless of how people respond to you, the things they say to you, the hurts they bring to you. That's not easy. That's difficult. You might even say that's impossible. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Is, is He says, keep no record of, not a wrong, singular, but wrongs, plural. And he keeps it open-ended. There's no limit to the wrongs. 
That's what John is saying here in, in verse 18. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That is, when we are actually loving people as Christ loved us, we love not on the basis of how we feel in the moment or how someone responds to us, but solely based on truth. And the truth then drives our action. If that's how we love people, it would be transformational to how we relate to one another. Because what we are depending our love on is solely on what God says what we should do. And that's not easy. But it is true. And that's exactly what John is saying. This is love. Writer Bet, uh, Bretton Kraken, he writes this. He says, this is just who I am. These six words summarize one of the biggest obstacles to discipleship facing the church in our contemporary era. These are really um, opposing words to following Christ. This is just who I am. These same words keep us from truly being loved and loving one another. We just don't want to depart from how we feel. And so we say, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be open to what anyone else says. Don't tell me how I should live. This is who I am. And in that sense, our feelings, our emotions, they are a part of us. God has created each one of those to be a part of who we are. And yet they're not meant to rule over us. And yet so often they do. I mean, think of just some of these phrases. I don't care what everyone, everyone says to me. If I feel this way, it must be true. And that is a, a real danger to the soul when you think how you feel is what is true. Don't preach the Bible to me. I don't feel like listening to that right now. You know, actually, it's, it's hard because you want people to speak God's word to you. However, the time you need it most is the time that we're least open to it. And often that's in times of trial and suffering. We need the truth of God's word, and it has to be what defines and anchors our soul, or else we will float away, drift away. The phrase, you just don't understand me, or what I'm going through. I mean, if you really think about that phrase, that's a, that's a phrase that puts someone at arm's length, because once they speak into you, you can always revert back to that. You don't understand me. And it becomes this cycle. So no one can say anything to you because you don't want anyone to impinge on your feelings. That's not what John speaks of when he talks of love. It's exactly contrary to love. The love that John speaks of in verses seven, uh, 18 through 19, it goes beyond words and feelings. He makes certain this point for us, that we not forget this, because that's exactly our tendency. Instead, love is always rooted, as we saw in verse 18, in the truth of God's word. And if we should leave that truth behind, look at what we lose according to verse 19. This is what we lose. When you leave behind truth, you leave behind this and reassure our heart before him. In other words, if you love others the way Christ loved you and you are open to being loved in the way that Christ loved you, 
despite how you feel, your heart will be reassured. There's a, a, a confidence that you're responding exactly how God wants you to respond, and you'll find that this will be your to your ultimate benefit and satisfaction. So think of it this way. When you're angry, let's say, and you refuse to sacrificially love one another, or you're angry and you refuse to receive love from others, even while you're in the middle of hurt, misunderstanding, defamation, who suffers in that context? We tend to think that if I close people off, I'm punishing them. They're going to suffer. But actually, if you really understand what God is saying here through his word, is that, no, you're the one who's suffering. You think that you're punishing people by cutting people off, by putting up your walls, by placing this huge obstacle in front that says, keep out, keep off the grass, this is my property. But that place is such an unsettling place. Our blood pressure rises. We start reliving all our angers, our, our pains, our memories. Our focus is off. Our instinct is to cut people loose, to get rid of the problem. See, the thinking is, person X, Y, and Z are the problems to my life. And if I just cut them off, problems go away. The problem with that is that the main source of our problem, which is our own heart, that doesn't go away. And over time, the heart hardens, and we turn our eyes away, not just from people, but ultimately from God himself. By doing this, by cutting people off, by saying, I'm not going to be vulnerable again or to be hurt again, what happens is that we never really resolve the root cause of our problems. Because people are not our problems. It's our own heart that's our ultimate problem. Other people will suffer. There's no mistaking that. So if a person is irritable and they come home after work, you notice it's almost like the sun and planets. Everyone in that home orbits around that one person who is irritable and angry. And so everyone is walking around eggshells and making sure they don't say the wrong thing to set them off because one one moment, one word, and they blast off. And so the whole family is living their life orbiting this single glorious sun, this God who reigns supreme in this house. Spouse and children walk on eggshells. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there are so often times where you need and I need people in my life when I am not feeling right or good or perhaps irritable or angry or down and depressed or sorrowful. I need people in my life to speak truth. Truth is hard. It's hard both ways, and we all know this. It's hard to hear it, and it's hard to give it. It's hard to give it because you're always afraid. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to again set them off. They're going to be hurt. They're going to be, they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be angry. And we're so afraid. And it's hard to receive it because it just, we want to say, you don't understand what I'm going through. 
it's interesting how all of this happens, and it's this ongoing tension that resides in every community, whether it's your family, a marriage, parent-child relationships, within the church, outside of the church. This is the nature of people and of people around us and ourselves. And what John is saying is that there is a better way. We don't have to, as we learned a few weeks ago, buy into the evil separator's lies called the devil. Think of, again, that idea. There's a, a natural inclination due to my own sinfulness to separate myself from God and other people. And then you have a devil who's trying to compound that with his own accusations and lies trying to separate you from God and people. That's the nature, the spiritual war that is regularly ongoing with every one of us, especially if you are a believer of Christ. If you follow Jesus Christ, get ready because that means you're a target. And the devil is after you to try to turn you away from God. And the way he does it is by separating you from other people so that you don't feel like going to church on Sunday. You don't feel like spending time in fellowship with others. You don't feel like going to discipleship group. You don't feel like caring for people, especially when you're tired yourself. This is the ongoing war that we face. But when you love others as Christ loved you, you see something dramatic. First of all, recognize this. When you love another person, as John speaks of, there's a death. That's why it hurts so much. It's hard because it's dying. You're dying to yourself. But death is not the end goal of the Christian life. We do not worship Jesus who died on a cross and that's it. Otherwise, as Paul says, we are the most pitiful of all people. But instead, there's actually something more. There's a resurrection. There's the resurrection of a new self. We're more free, more confident, more assured, and more joyous. Jesus makes this so clear in his own words in John chapter 12, verses 24 to 25. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life... Uh, Whoever loses, loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you've ever eaten a juicy apple or a juicy Asian pear and you, you know, you just take that bite, there's, there's such sweetness and delectability. It is something that you just enjoy so much. When we die to ourselves, we live by bearing such delectable sweet fruit for ourselves and one another. It's it's really exponential in its impact. But there has to be a death. The death is real, that when you surrender yourself, and instead of saying, you don't understand me, I'm going to close you out, I'm going to cut you off, and even if we're willing to open our hearts to truth, the promise is you will be raised again. John says we can be reassured of this. How? If we love one another as Christ loved us. And what does that show us? It shows us so clearly that we are children of God. The proof 
that we are actually in Christ is if we love people this way. If you want to know, am I truly a Christian? The way you can make this so clear is that you actually love people. Listen to what John already said in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then chapter 3.10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if you love one another with this love, again, it's not about loving people who are likable to you, who are, as Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about, the animal instinct within us to say, yeah, if your personality meshes with mine, we click together, everything is, it's so easy when we meet together. That's not love. Instead, meet someone who is exactly the opposite of you. Who, when you first met them, you were turned off. They were gruff. They weren't, they just didn't say anything. You had to work to actually pull them in, into your relation, into your sphere, into your relationship. That's love. If you have that heart of welcoming the stranger, the alien, someone who is hard to love, someone who is perhaps going through hard times of trial, and they're running away from you, resisting, and you're still persevering. That doesn't happen unless you know Christ, unless you are a child of God. John says when we have that type of love, we can rest assured that we are in him. We prove that we are his children. We prove that actually we really believe that Jesus died for me. And so even though God knows not only our visible sins, but he knows the sins of our hearts, our thoughts, but also the sins that we have that we aren't even aware of. And that's there too. There are sins deep in our soul that we're not even aware we're sinning because we've deceived ourselves so much to convince ourselves that we're actually not so bad. But Paul says this. Listen to what Paul says. Knowing all of our heart's inclinations against God. Romans 5, eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. That's actually the love that God is talking about. How do we love one another in this way? Secondly is, loving others reveals our confidence. In verses 21 through 23. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. When we love one another, it reveals our confidence because of Jesus. We're, we're freed from condemnation. Again, the link is that loving one another has bears so much truth into our faith in Christ. Paul writes very similarly to John in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means we can confidently go before God, and yet that God whom everyone in the Bible um, dies if they encounter him. Like, literally, in the Bible, whenever someone meets God, they die. Or they act like they've died. And yet, listen to this wonderful promise in verse 22. It reminds us this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him 
because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That is to say, you can pray with confidence and we will receive from him. But here's the reason we can do this. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So this is not, please, Lord, give me this job. Or, please, Lord, let this man or woman like me. Please heal so-and-so. And then after it doesn't happen, we ask, why, God? Why didn't you answer my prayer? Or, God, I did this, and this is the thanks that I get, that you don't really answer me. Or perhaps we think, I don't think prayer works. I prayed for this, and verse 22 says, I can ask whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me. And that doesn't seem to happen. Why is that not happening? All of these, actually, if we have that heart, it actually reveals we never truly trusted him to begin with. Because if you trust him, you trust him with the result, regardless of the result. That's not an easy prayer. But you really do believe that whatever answer that comes, and he always answers, if you're in Christ, the promise is your prayer is always going to be answered. But sometimes that prayer is no. And the reason is always because that no in some way is going to lead me, lead you closer to me. And you have to trust that that is true. A person who prayed this way is Job. And Job is a book about real deep suffering. And in the middle of all of his sufferings, he writes in Job 19, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. That even if everything is taken away from me, I can trust that I will stand, I will see God, when we know God and when we keep his commandments, and that's the condition upon which you can ask anything, but if you really do know him and you ask him a loving, as a loving father, he will answer you, sometimes in the affirmative. Sometimes he will give you exactly what you've asked for. Sometimes, again, he will say no because the no, if he were to say yes, it would probably draw you, not probably, it will draw you away from him which in God's economy means that you will be less satisfied. But if the answer is no, it's because that no, as hard as it will be, is to your ultimate benefit, even though mysteriously we don't know how that all works out. That's what it means to trust and to be able to ask and to believe and to keep his commandments and to do what pleases him. I've shared this story before, but I do think it's an appropriate one. Uh, Randy Alcorn was a writer, past former pastor. He tells the story of a three-year-old who swallows poison. And the father calls poison control in. And they say, you have to get him to the hospital. And whatever you do, don't let him fall asleep. If he falls asleep, he will die. So it's a cold winter night. His father rushes the boy to the car, sits beside him in the front seat, rolls all the windows down. The boy's head, because in the middle of the night, and he's a young boy, starts to drop. And so his father starts slapping him in the face. And the boy starts crying. And then his head starts nodding again. And the father slaps him again and again and all the way to the hospital. And 
Can that young child understand why his father is slapping him? Of course not. To that child, to a three-year-old little boy, his father hates him, wants nothing to do with him. But his father, through tears, says, I love you, son, but this is the love that that boy needs to live. I do so often think that we, if we could only see God's perspective, we would see trial and suffering as dark and deep as it is, is in some way meant to save our lives, not for us to lose it. God is not a God who hates you, but he loves you. And he loves you deeply. And the proof of that is that he demonstrates it to us, through his son. That's the key to it all is that he has loved us by sending his son, given on behalf of you and me. And so, the amazing idea through these verses is this. When we love one another with the hard work of love, we are obeying his commands, which reveal that we are his children. Doesn't mean it's easy. Not at all. Quite the opposite. Loving one another is directly tied into the confidence that we have that we're his children. And it affirms that even when times are actually at its most difficult, it shows when we love people when it is most hard, oh yeah, that's the love that God showed me. Do you see, this is every reason why it is most difficult for us in our lives. That when it is hard, we must not run. That's our instinct. The instinct of when we don't feel loved is that we run. We cut off. We separate. When it is hard to love within the church, what's your first instinct? I want to leave the church. When it's hard to love in a family, in a marriage, what's the instinct? I want to leave this marriage. I want to leave my kids behind. They're just too hard. I want to run away from my parents. They're too difficult. Notice that's always our natural inclination. It comes with pastoral ministry. When it's hard, the inclination is, I want to run. I want to get another job. When it's any context, our natural inclination is always to separate. Again, and then there's a devil whose whole mission is to get you to separate. And it never actually provides the assurance that we had hoped for, the confidence, the freedom that we think separating does is we think, if I could just get away, everything will be better. What a lie. And I'm sure most of you either have experienced that in your own lives, no people have gone through that, and you never see happier people, more joyous people, because suddenly they've pulled away. Quite the opposite. Instead, your confidence in Christ only grows when you persist and persevere in loving one another while facing difficulties and challenges. Once you run, your confidence runs as well. And the gospel melts away. But when you persist and persevere and love, you begin to understand how much God loves you. Lastly, as 
Loving others reveals the spirit in verse 34. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Most of all, when we love one another and others, we reveal the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's what John is saying in verse 24. A Christian has the Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's Holy Spirit presence indwelling. And it has nothing to do then with outward moral behavior. It's not as though you're good enough, and so God really likes you as a house, so he's going to come and dwell inside you because your house is so great. Quite the opposite. It's while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christians act a certain way. We love others even though it is so hard to do so. And you know what? It is not by our will. It's not because we read a a great program on how to love or you heard a good sermon on how to love. It's not even because of modeling, discipleship. It's not because you were in a really great discipleship group and the leader is actually really great at loving people. And so therefore you saw that and you said, I'm going to do that. That's actually not how it works, according to verse 24. According to verse 24, it is impossible to do this. At least what John is talking about, what Jesus is talking about is you cannot love people like this. The world's way of loving, which is to love people who are like you, who are good to you, who are kind to you, who are nice to you, the personalities click, that's how everyone loves. But what Jesus is talking about is loving people who are enemies. That's just not possible. Unless there's someone external who enters in, pierces through to your heart, and changes you. It is only possible to love this way if there is a more powerful force in you than your own willpower. Your will is very strong. No one can change your will except for the Holy Spirit. He can change your will, and he does. He enables you to love people with Jesus' love. Listen to how Paul describes a Christian in 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person, meaning the person without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to love an enemy, to love someone who is unlovable, to love someone who is not like you, to love someone who is very different from you, who is hard to love, who doesn't think along the same lines that you do, who comes from a different background. It's very difficult to love that person. It's not natural to love that person. It's a spiritual work. That's why loving someone who has taken advantage of you or hurt you or betrayed you or disappointed you, how can you love that person? You can't. In fact, the natural person thinks it's utter folly to love someone who has betrayed you, disappointed you. Instead, they're going to say, leave him, fight her, demand your rights. Think of all your relationships uh, that are significant, your spouse, 
your children, your siblings, your parents, your church, your friendships. Love means stay in love, and the Spirit is the one who empowers that and fuels that. But the devil says, separate and leave. No one loves you. No one cares for you. It's better over there. Just leave. That's, again, how the world operates, how we naturally operate, and how the devil operates. But spirit-filled people are convicted, according to John, what Jesus says in John 15, 7-8, by themselves. That's the distinctive difference between someone who loves when it's difficult and someone who is unable to. Someone who is in Christ and someone who does not is that their instinct is to look internally because the Holy Spirit is indwelling. And look at what the Holy Spirit does as his role, his job in your life as a Christian. But if I go, Jesus is saying this about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus dies, eventually goes back to the Father, says, but if I go, I will send him, that is the Holy Spirit, to you. And this is what he does. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You begin to realize that you're the problem, not all those people. You're the sin. You need salvation. You need grace. You need rescue. The greatest problem we human beings have is that we always think someone else is the cause of all of our misery. But having that perspective blinds us from the gospel, blinds us from Christ. We never understand what Jesus is all about. And in that way, we are bound to our own and and really tied to our own angst and frustrations. Think of how realizing you are a sinner spurs you to actually love. Because when you feel convicted by your own sins, And suddenly you start thinking, you know what? I'm not better than anyone, including the person who has hurt me. That's when you become broken. You start saying, I need Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that. He starts renewing your heart. He starts showing you that, but you are loved. You are God's son, God's daughter. God gave his life for you through his son, Jesus Christ who took your place as a substitutionary atonement, as a propitiatory, appeasing substitutionary atonement. And because God loved you that much, then whatever that person has done against you, it just is not as big as you think it is when you feel it. And in that way, then, you you say, I can persist. I can persevere. What can man do to me, as Paul says in Romans 8? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Suddenly, the perspective comes that it really is okay. No matter how much someone rejects you, they will never reject you more than what you have done against God. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, he starts reordering reality for you. And then suddenly, you just are freed from all the condemnation and angst and anger That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you understand the fruit that comes, Paul says this in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That flows out of a conviction of sin. 
Because the more you are aware of your own sinfulness and the work of grace that abounds more and more into your heart, then from it shows kindness. I can be kind. I can forbear. I can forgive. I can be gentle. When I'm approaching someone, even though they've hurt me, I don't have to lash back and fight back because I've been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, I can show self-control. The Holy Spirit does that. And it remind, he reminds you, he is a person, and he reminds you over and over again that you are a child of God. This is what he reminds you of in Galatians 4, 6-7. And because you are sons, and you are daughters, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you have such that high of an identity based on the conviction of sin, your freedom in Christ, your sonship and daughtership, how freeing it is to love others. Without that, yeah, it's impossible. It is impossible to love someone with this type of love. So the answer to loving people is not, let's come up with a new program. Let's try to disciple one another. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that or model it. But we never model thinking that we're going to model this so that somehow they can just follow the patterns and follow. It's actually, I need Christ more and more and more. When we love one another, we reveal our sonship. But it's our sonship that actually empowers us to love one another. And that requires a work, a miraculous work of God through his Holy Spirit. But when we are in Christ, my friends, when you really believe in Jesus, you have to believe this truth. Listen to what John says. We'll cover this in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, but it's appropriate here as well. In this is love. Not that we love God. Not that we did it's, it's not like you raise your hand and say, I love God. And so therefore now I can love people. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How can we love in this way? God has to break through. But if he has, then we must never forget the atoning work of Christ on that cross. And if we dwell in that and live in that and make him the center, oh, well, then you will love one another. You will. That's not something that might happen. It will happen. It has to happen because the Holy Spirit indwells in you, empowers you, and presses you forward to do that. So practically speaking, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ and you really say, I know him, I trust him, I love him, then you can't just simply sit back and say, but I'm not going to actually forgive this person. This person's too hard. They've already hurt me once or twice, so I'm not going to let them in my life again because if I do, they're going to hurt me back. Or this person, I don't really mesh with them. And, you know, I really want to hang out with my friends and there's this new person over here, but... If I try to bring them in, it's too much work. If that happens, and that happens regularly, you have to ask yourself, 
do I actually believe in Jesus or not? I actually think you should ask that question. Because if you actually believe in Christ, that should trouble you. That Your conscience has to be pricked because the Holy Spirit indwells in you to convict you of sin. So if you're not loving people that way, either you're ignoring and trying to close off the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart, and that's a dangerous place to be in, or you actually don't know Christ at all. You only know about him. Jesus died so that you would be forever transformed and saved. And that means knowing him and loving others. I hope as we uh, take communion today, that that just reminds you of that. You come to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this hard word from John because it's actually what we need most. I have to believe, O oh Lord, that we are robbing ourselves of joy because we have not believed your word enough. We have not soaked in the gospel enough into our hearts. And because of that, it keeps us from joy. It robs us from the, the bountiful fruit of the reassurance that we are in Christ. And because of that, we're not confident. And then we pray as though you're not going to answer us. Lord, the effects of not believing truth is so dramatic. Help us, O oh Lord, instead to see that you have given everything so that we might have life with you. May this time of communion, as we take this bread and wine, be that reminder that we need today, right now, to show us how much you loved us. Not that we loved you first, but that you loved us first by giving us your own son. And may that empower and fuel us to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.